All right, here's what I want to do. I gave you several words to define abide. Okay? So if you can remember one of those words that abide means, just one. Okay, one at a time. (laughs) Somebody stand up. Real quick. Okay. (laughs) Come get a CD. This is turning no into yes. Who wouldn't like to do that, right? Okay. Say it it again. Continue. Someone else. Okay. No, habitat wasn't one. Well, dwelling, but stand fast. Okay, one more. Okay. Remain. I heard remain. Oh, come and get them. What did I get? Which one did I give you? Yeah. Oh, that's our touching heaven, changing earth. That's our vision. Oh, um, surrender the power of the name. I think they might have got that wrong. Experience. It's hard to read. Experience the power of the name. Yes. Experience the power of the name. And this is starting over. Starting over. Woo! Thank you, ladies. I'm, ex- I'm impressed. You guys got it. What it means to abide. All right. Are you all awake? You're not going to get sleepy now, are you? Because if you do, I'm going to have to preach louder. <laughs> all right. We're going to get right into it today, all right? I want to start by telling you a really good story. Years ago, before transatlantic flight was common, a man wanted to travel from the United States to Europe. And he worked so hard to save the money that he needed, and he had just enough money to purchase a three-week ticket on a ship. So he filled a suitcase with cheese and crackers to get him through the journey because he only had enough money to buy his ticket. That's all he could afford. So every meal, all the other passengers would gather together in this ornate dining room, and they would eat their gourmet meals. And this man would just go over into an obscure corner of the ship where no one could see him, And he would sit down and eat his cheese and crackers. Well, this went on day after day. And he would eat his cheese and crackers, and he'd be sitting there, and like he could smell the delicious food on the ship. And he would just think of all those passengers in there uh, eating all that great food, and they'd come out feeling about like we do right now. Yeah, after that big old meal. And they'd be rubbing their stomachs going, oh, I'm so full, and that was so good. And they would talk about this time after time after time. And that poor traveler, he would have given anything to be able to join those passengers on that ship if he'd have only had the extra money. And then sometimes at night, he'd even lay awake in his cabin, in his bed, dreaming of all that scrumptious food. But as the trip was coming to an end, one of the passengers approached him, and he said to him, Sir, please forgive me if I'm being nosy here, but I couldn't help but notice that you're always over there in the corner, and you're eating those cheese and crackers at mealtime. Why don't you come into the banquet room and eat with the rest of us? Well, the traveler was a little bit embarrassed, and he replied, Well, sir... To tell you the truth, I only had enough money to buy my ticket. I didn't have extra money to buy the meals. And the other passenger raised his eyebrows kind of in surprise, and he shook his head and he said, No, sir, don't you realize the meals are included in the price of your ticket? Your meals, sir, have already been paid for. Many of us are just like this traveler, aren't we? We think God has prepared a banquet meal for everyone else. We don't realize he's prepared it for us. And we sit over there in the corner eating cheese and crackers while all the while God has a banquet prepared for us. And we're missing out on God's best for us because we don't realize The good things in life have already been paid for. God has paid for them if we abide in Christ. 
You see, in Christ, remember what I told you? You are royalty. You are royalty. You are heirs. You have an inheritance. You have all spiritual blessing. You don't have to settle for cheese and crackers. God has a banquet table. You see, every time you go around in fear and anxiety, you're eating cheese and crackers. Every time you doubt the promises of God for your life, you're eating cheese and crackers. Every time you settle for less, you are eating cheese and crackers. But a a seat has been set for you at God's banqueting table, and the price has already been paid. When you abide in Christ, amen, there are benefits to abiding in Christ. There are benefits, and my message today is the benefits. What a good way to end, huh? The benefits to abiding in Christ. I want to read you a quote from Joyce Meyer. Jesse, bring me my white spray in that bottle, please. Okay, here's a quote from Joyce Meyer. Thank you. Abiding means making Jesus the most important person in your life. Living and remaining in him and making everything in life revolve around him. Making everything in life about him. That's when we bear the fruit of a godly life. And that's when God's true joy is released in us. It's easy to see that focusing on Jesus has so many benefits. For one, when we're paying attention to him, we won't be focused on the problems in the world, and we'll be able to live with God's peace and joy. Another benefit of living this way is that it keeps us from being continually stressed out, living in survival mode, and getting through, just getting through the day. See, life takes on a whole new perspective when we're abiding. So the first benefit I want to talk about is this. Abiding produces fruitfulness. You see, there is a purpose for our abiding. John 15, 5, 4 and 5 says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. To be fruitful means to bear fruit, to grow and to increase. Galatians 5, 22 through 23, it describes the fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Oh, my. Now I need to get on my steel-toed boots. (laughs) Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are you producing those in your life? Are you a fruit-bearing, quick Christian? Because you know what? Life has a way of squeezing us. And when life squeezes us, what comes out is either going to be bitter or it's going to be sweet. So what comes out of you when the squeeze is on? What comes out of you when things don't go your way? What kind of fruit do you produce? You see, unfortunately, many people emphasize in the church the gifts of the Spirit, but they neglect the fruit. Oh, we're all about the gifts. Oh, look at my gift, everybody. We want to just display our gifts for the world to see. But what about the fruit? But you see, both are necessary. Both are required. And here's the difference between them. Gifts are given. Fruit is grown. You see, the gifts of the Spirit are the manifestations of God's power. The fruit of the Spirit is the manifestation of God's character. Come on, we need to have the character. Because you know what? Our character is what's going to keep us where our gifts take us. We need that character. And the gifts of the Spirit are what show us what God does. The fruit of the Spirit shows us who God is. I want to have the gifts and the fruit in my life. Our part is to receive the gifts and to grow the fruit. And when we abide in Christ, we grow fruit and we become more like Christ. 
if we abide. Ladies, you know what? Your husbands need Christ-like wives. You are the key to your home and your marriage and your children. Your children need Christ-like mothers, examples to follow. Your friends need Christ-like examples. So how does this fruit get produced in our lives? I'm going to tell you right now. It's not by your effort. I'm going to tell you how, but it's not by your effort. Not at all. Just as the branch derives its life from the vine, so as believers in Christ, we derive our life from the true vine to bear fruit. I remember a time Pastor Joe and I, or my husband and I, Joe, were in Florida visiting my sister. And we went on a bike ride through a Florida orange grove. And I remember seeing oranges all over the trees. But I don't remember hearing those oranges groaning to produce, to produce fruit. I don't remember those trees going, uh, trying. Remember, Pastor Olin used to tell that story. <laughs> no, those trees aren't huffing and puffing and grunting and groaning, trying to produce oranges. No amount of doing that is going to help. The oranges are not a product of self-effort, but a product of the life. Come on. That's in the tree. It's a product of that life. And all that orange has to do is be what it was created to be. Okay? And when we're abiding in Christ, the fruit grows naturally. You see, it's a byproduct of worshiping Him, of being in the Word, of being in prayer. You don't have to work at it. You don't have to agonize over it. You don't have to struggle to work it up and to produce it. You see, you cannot conform yourself to the image of Christ. And He's going to let you try till you hit a bunch of walls and you realize, oh my gosh, I cannot produce Christ-like character in myself. You cannot work it up on your own. We are so dependent on the Holy Spirit to produce this fruit in our lives. And the life sap of the Holy Spirit is the only way that you can grow spiritual fruit. Now, I know that's challenging because we always want to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to love you if it kills me. And it just will. (laughs) It just will. But a a branch naturally has the DNA of the trunk, okay? If God's DNA is love, our DNA is love. Your DNA is to love. If God's DNA is self-control, then your DNA is self-control. If God's DNA is peace, then your DNA should be peace. So we can't do it on ourselves. If we abide, we will be fruitful. Abiding also, this is our second point, Produces pruning. You're probably going like, what? You call that a benefit? By the way, I loved the little skit that the girls did. That was awesome. I just loved that skit. But you're probably thinking, is she kidding me? But here's why it is a benefit. Listen to John 15, 1 and 2. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. In every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Why does he prune you? So you can bear more fruit. Pruning is a benefit of abiding because it produces more fruit. And remember, fruit is a godly characteristic. And character in our lives is what we want. And that requires pruning. None of us are going to get away from it. And if branches could speak, they'd be saying, Ow, that hurts. Yes, pruning hurts. As a matter of fact, if you want to know where God is pruning you, then ask yourself this question. Where is it hurting right now? Where is it hurting? Because at the point of your pain, that's where his spiritual shears are snipping away something. And let me tell you what. God loves you so much that he is going to cut away everything in your life that is not good. But I'm going to tell you what, he will also cut away some things that are good. Things that might come before him. 
That's a little bit of a different concept, isn't it? Pruning hurts, but it helps. We don't enjoy it, but we need it. The pain of pruning comes with pain, but later it will produce fruit. Listen, possibly the greatest judgment that God could pronounce on a believer would be to not prune him. Pruning is so important to us. You see, vines left to themselves, they start to spread out and they produce these huge canopies that, you know what those do? They hinder fruitfulness. They hinder it. And if they're not pruned, you know what happens? Vines that are not pruned, they're susceptible to disease and to bugs and to insects. You know what? I love this definition. of The, the definition of pruning in the Greek means to cleanse. To cleanse. You being pruned, God is cleansing some areas in your life. He's pruning and cleansing you from those spiritual bugs and diseases and insects that are going to eat at your soul and are going to destroy the fruit in your life. It means cutting away those things that are not good and sometimes those things that are good in order to produce the best. You see, the vine dresser will cut away whole clusters of grapes. Any of you ever pruned a tree out in your yard, you know what I'm talking about. You get out there, it looks so good when you get over there and you start taking those shears and cutting it away. By the time you're done, it looks terrible. (laughs) But sometimes he has to cut away the good clusters of grapes so the rest of the vine will be a higher quality and it can seem counterproductive at first and i i hate to prune my stuff because then it just looks so ugly after i'm done pruning it sometimes when we're going through that pruning process we feel kind of ugly you know like oh everybody sees my bare branches now but you know what it might not be a nice looking vine and it might not seem like a nice looking plant but the reason is clear it's very clear grapevines can become so dim That means like full of fruit and leaves that the sun cannot reach into the areas where the fruit should be forming. And so you see, God has to cut things out of our lives that seem good so that the sun, S-O-N, can reach into those areas of our lives that aren't producing fruit. God knows what he is doing. It might not feel like it. But God knows what he's doing. You see, another thing, pruning removes what's called suckers. That's a sucker right there. A sucker is a small branch that grows in the fork of the main trunk of the tree, and it will sap the life out of the fruit-producing branches. So the pruner comes along and starts cutting them away. And suckers in our lives could be things like people or situations in our lives that are just sucking the life out of us. Things we shouldn't be doing, places we shouldn't be going, uh, friends maybe we shouldn't have, things we shouldn't be looking at. God has to cut those things, ladies, out of our lives so we can bear more fruit. That's what pruning means. It means to cut away that which is unnecessary or unwanted in order to encourage fuller growth. So a little bit of pain, I just thought of a phrase, no pain, no gain. Anyone who's worked out knows that phrase, no pain, no gain. So do you see why pruning is a benefit? It helps to produce more fruit. Do you know in vineyards, pruning is actually probably the most important part of the whole vineyard? A person that prunes has to be trained for years. Sometimes it takes three years to learn how to prune. It's a very skilled an exacting process that is executed with tender, loving care. John 15, 1 says, the Father is the vine dresser. Jesus is the gardener. And a vine dresser is the keeper of the vineyard. He prunes us with such exactness and with such tender, loving care. And he has one goal, fruitfulness. One goal fruitfulness and that requires pruning you see your father your heavenly father is never closer to you 
than when He is pruning you. And even though it might hurt, your Heavenly Father is watching over you. And listen, pruning is not a punishment. You're not being punished. It's a process that's designed to make you look more like Christ. That's the, that is the end result right there. I don't know how many of you have ever been to Disneyland. But if you go to Disneyland, I don't know if you've ever seen the hedges that are pruned to look like those Disney characters. I think all of us have probably seen those, you know, the Mickey Mouse and the Donald Duck. And do you know that by pruning these bushes, this pruner was able to shape them into the exact form that they wanted? God prunes us in order to shape us into the image of Jesus. And sometimes that pruning involves removing sin or distractions or misbeliefs or bad influences or bad attitudes from our life. Yes, pruning is painful, but God is changing us in order to make us look more like Jesus. And you see, here's the thing. The more we abide in Christ... The more fruit we bear, the more fruit we bear, the more the Father has to prune us. Will you submit to the pruning process to be fruitful in your life? John 15 describes four degrees of fruitfulness. Which one are you? No fruit, fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. God wants you to have much fruit in your life. You see, the question is... Are you willing to submit to the pruning? Are you willing to abide in Christ? And will you bear much fruit? Our third product or benefit is abiding produces love. 1 John 4, 12 through 16. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. Because, get this. He has given us His Spirit. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, if you're saved and you believe in Jesus, guess what? God abides in you. And He in God. You abide in God. God is love. And He who abides in love abides in God and God in Him. Isn't that awesome? You get saved. You have the Spirit of God. You have the Spirit of God. You have love. You see, the bottom line is... Abiding is only made possible by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This is where it gets into you can't work it up, okay? If you're a born-again believer, God lives in you. And you live in God. And God's love, so you have love living on the inside of you. Amen? 1 John 4, 16 says, As we have known and believed, The love that God has for us. Now, I want you to notice something. It says, known and believe. You see, some of us know it, but we really don't believe it. There's sort of a gap between our knowledge and our heart, about an 18-inch differentiation between what we know and what we really believe. But you know what? God loves us, and He wants us to know it, And to believe it. You know, sometimes we think, well, you know what? God might love everybody else. I know God loves the person sitting next to me. I know God loves that other person. But me, does he really love me? Not after the things I've done. Not after how I failed him. Not after the mess that I've made. Listen to Isaiah 49, 13. Shout for joy, O heavens. Rejoice, O earth. Burst into song, O mountains. For the Lord comforts his people, and he will have compassion. He has compassion on you. God loves you and has compassion on his afflicted ones. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast? And will she not have compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will never forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands, and your walls are ever before me. You know, most of the time we see God as a father, and that's right and that is good. 
But here we see God loves us like a mother. And here's the thing about a mother's love. A mother loves her children no matter what they've done. And that is how God loves us. Amen. No matter what we've done, He loves us. He's there for us. He will not forget us. He will not forsake us. His love is compassionate and comforting. God's not up there thinking, Okay, I just can't wait for you to mess up because I'm going to hit you over the head with a baseball bat. Or I'm going to make sure you fall. You know, half the time we think God wants to withhold intentionally from us. That is not how God is. God loves us like a mother's love. And you see, in this passage, it says he was referring to the walls. Our walls are ever before him. He was literally speaking of the walls of Jerusalem, which at that very moment were completely torn down. The city was in ruins, and the people had been dispersed because of their sin. Yet God says, I will never forget you. Ladies, you need to hear that today. God will never forget you. He thinks about you all the time. He has your picture on his refrigerator. He has a picture of you in his wallet. Even though you made a huge mess of things, God says, I still love you. And God says to us, I will never forget you. I will never give up on you. No matter what you do, I love you. You made a mess of things. I still love you. You've fallen down and scratched your knees. I still love you you. You don't love me. I still love you. You think I won't love you, but I love you. That will never change. Get this down in your spirit today. Such is the love of God. Nothing, height nor depth, principality or power, things above or things below, nothing ever will separate you from the love of God. That is God's love for you. This message isn't for someone else. This message is for you. Are you receiving that? Are you experiencing that right now? Your deepest need is the love of God. It doesn't matter who you are. God loves you. It doesn't matter what you've done. God loves you. This is how God loves us. And this is how we are to love one another. With that same love. And you have that love in you, right? Because you have the Spirit of God. You see, our ability to love others, if you feel your love falling short, it's in direct proportion to how much we receive God's love for us. It's easy to sit here and hear me and say, Amen. But how do you feel when you're out there and disaster strikes? Do you question God's love for you? When you fail and you mess up and you sin, do you wonder if God loves you anymore? But listen, Jesus didn't just simply preach the love of God. He proved it. He gave his life on the cross for you just the way you are. And he expects us to do the same. So if we abide in him, then in his love, we can share that love with others. You've got to remember something today. Branches don't eat the fr- their own fruit. Wouldn't that be funny? Other people eat the fruit of the branches. Your fruitfulness is for the benefit of others. You're producing to feed others. I loved what Pastor Yvette said earlier. I, I don't remember exact words, but it was about, we're not just, it's not just about us. It's about others and loving other people and being there for others and feeding others. Proverbs 10.21 says, The lips of the righteous feed many. What's coming off of your lips? Is it feeding others? Are your words words of edification? Or are they words that tear down? Does both bitter and sweet come out of the same fountain? Or are you producing fruit for righteousness? And here is what is astounding, ladies. The world will not believe that God loves them until they see his love in us. You got that? When Jesus was on the earth, he revealed God to the world. But Jesus is no longer on the earth. How then does he reveal that love of himself to the world? I'll tell you how. Through you. Through you. You are God's love to the lost and dying world, and to one another. It's through us. You know, men cannot see God, but they can see us. What are they seeing? And they're going to believe that God loves us 
when they see us loving one another. Galatians 5, 6, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Oh, we want to have all kinds of faith. I've got faith. I'm going to have faith. I'm going to believe for you. But am I going to love you? Especially when you hurt me or you disappoint me or you let me down. When I get squeezed, how much do I show that love? But you see, we got to understand it is love that will impact us. And until we understand God's love for us, that's going to impact every aspect of our Christian walk. And when we don't understand it, it, it hinders every aspect of our Christian walk. It will hinder our faith. I mean, how can you believe in a God and believe that he's going to change you if you don't even believe that he loves you? You can't. And what about our worship? How can we praise someone who doesn't love? That could be hindering your praise life. Or, or how about loving ourselves? If God doesn't love us, then how can we love us? That's impossible. What about our love for others? If God doesn't love us, how can we love others? So you see, nothing is going to change your heart except love. Love. That's what every man desires. Proverbs 19.22. What a man desires is unfailing love. The second you stop loving is the second you stop abiding. You see that? You see, God is love, and if we cease to love, we cease to abide but if we abide we have the benefit of being able to love even the unlovely oh it's so easy to love you when you're loving me but the minute that stops then what do i do when my husband pastor joe and i first started grace fellowship church i really thought i was a pretty loving person (laughs) I really, would, I would have told you, I love people. I wouldn't have started a church if I didn't love people. But sometimes I discovered as a pastor, and you encounter this on a regular basis, so love your pastors, church. Love your pastors, because pastors do encounter a lot of difficulties. And listen, sheep bite. They do. We know that. But they do. And we love them anyways. But we're human too, you know. So I thought I really loved people. And until I started pastoring my church, and I got bit a few times, and I discovered, oh, goodness, my love can surely fall short here sometimes. And so I thought, that's it. You know what? i got to try harder. I'm going to love you like I said earlier. I'm going to love you if it kills me. I'm going to love you if it's the last thing I do. And the more I tried, the harder I tried, the more I failed. And just finally one day it hit me. I can't do this. I just can't do it. I remember I was standing in the foyer of my house, and it just came over me like, I can't do it. And I was crying out to God, saying this, and it was like God said to me, you're right, you can't. But I can do it in you. Oh, and I knew, I knew that very moment that I had been trying to love out of my own strength. There's no good thing in this flesh. Nothing good that comes out of me comes from me or my flesh. It is God and only God. And at that moment, I surrendered. And I realized I can't, but God can. And all I have to do is abide. So instead of trying harder, I just started abiding more. I started pressing in more, praying more, seeking God more, asking for love. He said he'll shed his his love abroad in our hearts. The third benefit is love. The fourth benefit is abiding produces freedom. You see, John 8, 31 and 32 says, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. You see, Christianity without abiding is like a car without an engine. Christianity without abiding is like a train without tracks. Christianity without abiding is like a house without a foundation. You see, a car without an engine has no power. Tracks without a train or trains without a tracks has no direction. Without a foundation, what? A house has no stability. Without abiding in Christ, our Christian, our Christian life will have no power, no direction, and no stability. 
without abiding in Christ. And no freedom either. 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now where the Spirit of the Lord is, because that's the secret, where the Spirit of the Lord is, no, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But you see, freedom is found where? Where the Spirit of the Lord is. That's how we get free, by abiding where the Spirit is. We're going around trying to get free in our own strength. But abiding God's Spirit is what brings life out of death. You see, that's where healing comes out of hurt. Hope comes out of despair. Nothing you are going through, no situation in your life is too difficult for God. He can bring joy out of your sorrow. You may be facing something that seems impossible right now. But where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. He can bring power out of weakness. I love Zechariah 4, 6. Not by might, not by power, but by my... Say it again. By my... Says the Lord. No matter how bound up, you are, the Spirit of God can free you. No matter how hurt you are, the Spirit of God can heal you. No matter how down you are, the Spirit of God can lift you up. No matter how dry you are, the Spirit of God can refresh you. No matter how empty you are, the Spirit of God can fill you. That's the key, being filled with the Spirit of God, and that requires abiding in God. Do you see there's no other way? Stop trying to do it in your own strength. Abiding produces freedom. Abiding also, number five, produces obedience. Try being obedient without the power of the Spirit of God. 1 John 3, 24. Now, listen listen to this. He who keeps his commandments abides in him. Isn't that good? And he in him. You see, the instant you ask Jesus into your heart, he came to live in you. But maintaining that communion requires a moment-by-moment obedience. You see, we can't get saved and ask God into our hearts and then just go around living like the devil. I know people who claim to be born again, children of God, but who repeatedly disobey the word, and have no desire to please God. Let me tell you what, you need to ask God if you're really saved. Because if you're saved, you're going to have a desire for God. You're going to want to obey. You're going to see fruit in your life. Here's the thing, the secret to obedience is not willpower, but submitting to your, your will to his power. Listen, I've had enough of trying to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I kept falling and falling and just, I could not live this Christian life. I couldn't love people no matter how hard I tried. It's not about willpower. It's not about being a self-made man or a self-made woman, but being God-made, God moving in our lives. You know, you can change, try to change yourself by sheer willpower, but eventually you're going to see the painful truth. You are powerless. You are powerless to do it within yourself. You cannot add one single inch to your spiritual stature. All your righteousness is a filthy rag before God. All your good intentions are going to fail. All your attempts to fix yourself and everybody else, because you know you do, they're all going to end in disappointment. Even your efforts to be good are going to end in being bad. You know what I'm talking about. Y'all are awfully quiet this afternoon. Maybe it was that big lunch. No, you're just getting it, aren't you? All your efforts to be good are going to end in being bad. Listen, this is what Paul said in Romans 7:15. For what am I doing? I do not understand. For what I want to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then... I do what I will not to do and to not practice, but what I hate, that I do. If then what I will not to do, I do. Then I agree with the law that is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. 
For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I want to get that, that tattooed on my back. <laughs> That's what my daughter-in-law told me today. I'm going to get that scripture about that I'm crucified with Christ tattooed on my back. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> Whatever it takes, baby girl. Whatever it takes. <laughs> but, you know, you ever do that you think, I want to do good. I want to do the right thing, but then you fail miserably at it. Yes. Well, when I was 16 and I was saved, I was so addicted to cigarettes. And, you know, the Surgeon General says that's about as addictive as being addictive to um, heroin. And I would smoke two to three packs a day, and I was so determined I was going to quit. I was this new Christian, and I wasn't going to go around with that nasty habit, and I I was going to quit. So I was doing everything I could do. I had total confidence in myself that I could do this and give up cigarettes, but nothing I did was working. I was failing miserably at it. And I had the will to do it, but I couldn't figure out how. And it was about a year went by. I was getting so frustrated, and I couldn't even go one hour without a cigarette. I was like a a three-pack-a-day smoker. And I realized, suddenly it hit me, you know, I am powerless over nicotine. And I realized that I was trying to do it in my own strength. I wanted to do the right thing, but I always ended up failing at it. And, you know, a lot of Christians get really frustrated, and you know what they do? They just give up. Okay, I'm just going to smoke. And they quit trying. But, you see, God was teaching me that willpower alone is not enough. Hey, if willpower would work, we wouldn't need God's power, would we? But I needed his power. I had willpower, but I hadn't submitted my will to his power. So that did it for me. Just realizing, I can't do this. I'm a pretty hard-headed person. I guess I have to go through this on everything, right? So finally, I cried out to God. And I confessed. And I said, God, I hate this habit. And Lord, I just need you to do this in me. I need you to help me. I'm powerless. Give me your, give me your power. In doing that, you know what I was doing? I was saying, Jesus, you're the vine. I'm the branch. I can't do this. I'm powerless. But you can And do you know what? I did that. I was able to quit smoking. And I haven't picked up a cigarette, obviously, since that day. But I had to hit that wall again and realize I can't do it on my own. You see, Paul says in Philippians 2.13, I love this verse. This is like a life verse for me. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. I hung on to that verse. I still hang on to that verse. Because I know it's not me. I know that it's God. Because the branch is just a direct counterpart of the vine. We can do nothing, nothing, nothing without him. We still keep trying, though, till we get to the end of ourselves. And that's what God's waiting for. If you want to live in obedience and bring forth fruit, You have to realize you cannot be obedient apart from abiding. There's nothing good in you apart from abiding. All your righteousness, like I said, is filthy rags. You're a beggar at the table of God's mercy. You are totally dependent on Him. You're unworthy. You're unfaithful. And you're undeserving. But glory to God. When we're weak, He is strong. He is our righteousness. When we're weak and we fall and we mess up, He comes along and He picks us up. And He sets our feet back on solid ground. We can do nothing without Him. You know, I've heard people over the years say, Oh, those Christians... You know what? God's just a crutch to them. I want to say, no, he's not. God's not my crutch. He's a stretcher. He's a stretcher. I can't even limp without him. He just picks me up and puts me on 
on the stretcher and he carries me. And when I want to do things my way, when my will is weak and I can't resist temptation, when I can't control my mouth, me and my big mouth, when I don't want to read my Bible and when I don't want to do what's right and I want to be so ugly to somebody who's been ugly to me, oh, and sometimes I want to, and when I want to go places I shouldn't, you know, I run to him. I run to Jesus. I seek him until I find him. I don't get up and go on my way until I have an impartation from him in my life. I cannot do it. You cannot do it. You must run to Jesus. You must keep your eyes on him. And when you do, the vine will produce that life-giving strength. The sap and the life that you need will flow. And his spirit will be in us. And he will refresh us. And you know what? I just see this picture in my mind. And I know my voice is going, but you don't care, do you? I just see this picture. You got this branch or the vine there. And then you got us. We're just these branches just hanging there, just looking up to the vine. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, flow through me. I'm this helpless branch. I'm hanging here, God, waiting for your life flow, waiting for the sap of the Holy Spirit to flow through me. That's who we are. That's where we are. You have to get to that place, church, if you're going to grow in him. Hallelujah. Listen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. A really, really, really deep conviction. Hear me now. The Holy Spirit is moving right now. A deep conviction of this very truth lies at the very root of your obedience, of your fruitfulness. Surrender that thought that you can do it. Lay it down because apart from Him, you can do nothing. Now, Am I saying we have no part in all of this? Oh, no. We do. We have a part. There's man's responsibility and God's sovereignty. Now, that might sound contradictory, but what I'm saying here is we have to choose God's will. We have to realize that even though we have that part in choosing, even the decision to choose his will is from God. Even that comes from God. Because apart from him, we wouldn't choose to do his will. But we have to choose it. But he's working in us. That's the beauty of that verse. God is at work in me to will and to do. Say to God, God, I'm not willing. I'm just flat not willing. But I'm willing for you to make me willing. I love that prayer. I'm willing, God, for you to make me willing to do what you're calling me to do. Because if it wasn't for God, we couldn't even choose to do his will. Here's how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you. Wow, I'm really feeling the Holy Spirit right now. I'm really feeling the Holy Spirit wanting to speak this to you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly. I've learned to boast. Oh, hallelujah, I'm so weak. God, I can't take one step without you. God, I can't even open my mouth without you. I gladly boast in my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness. I'm asking you to start delighting in your weakness. Let it rest on you. You're weak. You are so weak. You need that stretcher. Throw out the crutch. Just get rid of the crutch. Okay? You don't need that crutch. You need the stretcher. You are weak. But guess what? We delight in that. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Isn't God awesome? I love your word, Lord. I submit to you today that we are all weak. We have hope and we get discouraged. We believe and then we doubt. We have faith and then we have fear. We love and then we hate. We pray and we don't pray. We obey and then we disobey. But one truth remains the same. Always, apart from Him, you can do nothing. But with Him, you can do all things. Fruitfulness, pruning, love, freedom, and obedience. The benefits of abiding in Christ. And here is the best benefit of all. You are never alone. You are never alone. No matter what happens in life, you are never alone. No
matter how hard life is, you are never alone. On a good day or on a bad day, you are never alone. When you abide in the true vine, God is always with you. You may have a broken heart. You might not understand what you're going through. Life may have seemed to dealt you a bad death. But no matter what, you are never alone. God is always with you. And He is in us. His Spirit follows us. He watches over us. He protects us. And He helps us. He is Emmanuel. God with us. Let's just give Him a hand. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. I'm going to close with this story. Dr. Tony Campolo, he tells a story of when he was a little boy growing up in New York City. And it was a congestion in a really busy city. And his mom was like really concerned about his well-being because he wanted to walk to school alone every day and uh, she thought that wouldn't be very safe. So she arranged for this teenage girl that lived in the neighborhood to walk home with him from school every day. And for that, she paid this girl a nickel a day. But little Tony, he got kind of rebellious when he was in the second grade. And he started telling his mother, I want to walk by myself to school, Mom. And if you'll give me a nickel a week, I'll be extra careful. I'll really watch what I do. And you can keep the other 20 cents, and we'll both be better off. So he got a nickel, she got 20 cents, he was going to be careful. She didn't like the idea very well. But after he kept pleading and begging, well then little Tony finally got his way. And so for the next two years, he walked the two blocks back and forth to school. He was really careful, he didn't talk to strangers all along the way. Everything was good. Well, years later... They were at a family reunion. Little Tony started bragging about how independent he was as a child, how he would walk to school all by himself. And his mother was just sitting over there looking at him. And all of a sudden she started laughing. And then she finished the rest of the story. Little Tony, did you really think that you were alone? Every morning when you got up and you left for school, I left with you. And I walked behind you all the way. You never saw me, but I was there. I was following you every step of the way. Now, we laugh, but how many of us are just like Tony? How many of us in our everyday life, we think we're alone. We think we're doing it on our own. Oh, we're so independent, and we're so focused on where we're going and how we're going to get there that we fail to recognize that God is with us every step of the way. He is watching over us like a mother watches over the child that she loves. God is always with us. And we think we're doing it. We're so independent. But he's watching over us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the true vine. (laughs) And we are the branches. Hallelujah. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. It's always been and it will always be Jesus. I really feel the Spirit of God hovering like a mother over us right now. And I believe that right now the Spirit of God wants to move on us. Ladies, would you just stand? I want you to stand right now. If we could have the praise team come on up, begin to play quietly on the, on the keyboard. I don't want to lose this moment right here. Jesus, Jesus, we cry out to you, Lord, as your daughters. And we ask, oh God, that you would be our true vine. We recognize that we are just the branches. God, we've had so much word this weekend, so much truth this weekend. We pray right now, God, that for every woman here, it would fall on the good soil of her heart and that it would take root 
and that the enemy won't come and steal it, but that it will spring forth, God, and you will water it, and you will bring increase, oh God, into the word that we've learned this weekend. Be our true vine, Jesus. I pray that every woman in this place right now, when she leaves here, that she will see a newness of life, a change in her perspective, a change in the infilling of your spirit in her life. Right now, we just with lifted hands. We ask that, Holy Spirit, you would fill us anew. Fill us, Holy Spirit, that we will be changed, that we will be powerful women. Though we are weak, in our weakness you are strong. Speak to our hearts, O God, Holy Spirit, move on us today. Be the center of our lives. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I thank you, ladies, so much. You were an amazing audience to to preach to. I love each one of you. And I really, really, really believe that you're going to go from here different. You're going to another level in God. A greater infilling. A greater anointing. You know, some of you need to get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some of you need that power. I'm going to tell you, that opens up a whole new realm in God. A whole new realm in God. Everything changed for me after that. I mean, that is when abiding became a whole other deal. Let me tell you. I went from the outer court and the holy place into the holiest of holies with him. Some of you need to come down today and get prayer to have the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, you've had three messages, all this worship, all this ministry. Don't leave here and not take that step of faith, whatever that is for you, okay? I'm believing God's going to tell you something that you need to do, whether it's a baptism in the Holy Spirit whether it's being here on time for church, for worship services, whether it's getting involved in the church, in ministry, in some area, because you got fruit to bear here. Come on. Others need your fruit. This church needs your fruit. Do you hear me? You're not bearing fruit for yourself to eat. You need to give that fruit. You need to be a fruit-bearing vine that walks in here and others come over just picking that fruit off of you. Oh, man, I see Cindy coming in here. I see some fruit walking in. I'm coming over to get some of that fruit. I see Helen. I see Debbie. I see Sarah. I see Jesse. I see all these women coming in here with fruit hanging off their vines. And you let them pull that fruit off and let them eat that fruit and rest under the shade of your vine. Ladies, plug in here. Get plugged in, okay? Don't just keep it all to yourself. Give it away. Get involved. Have prayer. Get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Whatever it is God wants to do in you. Amen? Amen. Faith without works is dead. I'm going to close with that. We got a lot of faith-building information this weekend. Filling of the Holy Spirit. Do something with it. Pastor your hand on your heart say thank you Lord for making me good fruit help me to always remember that I cannot eat myself this weekend yes that God has revealed that there's more in you than you realized and there's a destination for that fruit to be released and healed be a place of healing for this community for the nations for your own home this fruit that was planted today can go around, around the world the words that this woman has spoken can go around the world in this room right here. 
That's a lot of seeds. You planted good seeds in our hearts today and this weekend, and we receive those words in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to honor what what Miss Deborah felt, that those of you who have not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you're wondering what is that, it's a gift that God gives, and it's the next step. Um, you ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart. He's your Lord. You ask it, He's your Savior. You ask him to be your Lord. He now starts taking over your life and giving you wisdom. And then he wants to fill you with his power. That's called being filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Many people receive it with the evidence of speaking a language that is something you do not understand. And um, and many people receive it by having dreams and visions. And they begin to prophesy. We pray for you today. And whether you receive your language today or not, that's not the issue. The issue is that you receive. And you trust God for that manifestation. And come in the bathtub, in the shower, jogging down the street, in your car. Just go with it. (laughs) Thank you, Father. So we do want to do a specific altar call for that today. So if the worship team, I mean the prayer team would come up. And Miss Debbie, if you're feeling led in in something else, please come up and, and share that. But for those of you who are hungry to take the next step in God, just come up and say, I, I want the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they will lay hands on you and ask the Lord to fill you today. Don't miss that. Now, if you all happen to be filled already, well, hey, awesome. How many of you, by show of hands, know that you're filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit? You know. And you exercise your prayer language frequently. Okay, put your hands down. You exercise your prayer language frequently. How many of you... (laughs) I'm bad about putting people on the spot. How many of you don't? How many of you don't exercise your gift frequently? Or not enough? The Spirit of the Lord says to stir up the spirit that is within you. You stir it up. And the Spirit of the Lord says to you today, stir it up. If you want to go to the next level in me, you stir it up. And it's not by your thinking, it's by the Spirit of the Lord. So if you've been filled and you need to just be recharged, well, come get plugged in. (laughs) Come up and get prayer for that. In Jesus' name. So we're going to allow you to just sing again.
Thank you. Thank you so much. You are more precious.